weightlifter, bodybuilder, and gorgeous physiqued man named Sandow. Women were passing out by touching his muscles. Welcome to the Enduring Aesthetics Podcast, guys. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, I'm Daniel, owner-operator of Enduring Aesthetics. This is Clint, bodybuilding historian, author of Steve Reeves' Bodybuilding Journal and Analysis. Hey, guys. Today we're going to, or every podcast, we're going to get together and talk about classic bodybuilding of yesterday and today. We're going to start from way back uh, at the very beginning today. Clint is actually uh, a bit of a bodybuilding historian and a collector of bodybuilding memorabilia. He knows quite a bit about the beginning and early stages. I'll let him tell you about what he's got and what he's kind of an expert on. Go ahead, Clint. Sure. Yeah, so my main area of expertise um, in bodybuilding history is uh, silver and golden eras, um, which range from about the 40s to um, the 70s, 80s somewhat. Um, But um, I also enjoy um, the bronze era, the very beginning of the sport, um, which uh, started in the 1890s um, with Sandow, as you know. And um, if you've been in bodybuilding for um, any amount of time, uh, you've heard the name, you know the name, it's, it's familiar to you, you know about the Sandow Trophy with yep. Mr. Olympia, um, but uh, most people don't know much about the man himself, um, and uh, you know, I've just been watching several um, other videos that are out there, and a lot of them um, have uh, incorrect or incomplete information on him. Um, I mean, there are some things in his life that are kind of hazy. You know, we don't really know for sure if this or that happened. Some of his legend, um, you know, that kind of happened with the, the strong men, um, back in those days. Um, but with this video today, we're going to dive into Sandow. Um, what we know briefly, because again, I was telling you that, you know, if we were to really, um, dive deep into his life, I mean, we could talk for several hours on it. So, we're just going to hit, um, just going to hit the high notes um, today, and then um, I hope you guys enjoy it. Absolutely, let's get so, into it. Um, I, I would say I'm, I think I'm one of those people included. I mean, I know a little bit about the guy. I've seen the statue, and I know it's modeled after him. But I, I'm, I'm right. excited to learn as well because I know you, you actually have like a couple, one of his books or something, right? Right, right, yeah, and um, and and we'll we'll get into that. Um, in, in a little bit, I'd, I'd like to kind of, you know, run through his, um, his life, his biography, um, build, build up to where he got to, you know, um, uh, where he was as far as bodybuilding goes and starting, absolutely uh, starting well, it all. Um, I mean, let's start from the top. Absolutely. Um, so his real name was, uh, Friedrich Wilhelm Mueller, and he was born in, uh, Konigsberg, Prussia in 1867. Um, one of the incorrect, um, things said about him is that since he was born in Prussia, which sounds a lot like Russia, he was Russian. Um, he wasn't Russian. Um, Prussia was, um, basically like a territory of Germany, um, in those days. Um, and up until, uh, World War II, I think. And then after World War II, it, it became Russian. Um, but, um, he, he spoke German, had a German accent his entire life um, when he spoke English. Um, and um, so er, early on in his life, this is a detail that 
that he tells, we're not really sure if it's true or not. Um, he said that he visited Italy when he was 10 years old with his dad. Um, and so they're pouring all these historical places, all these museums. He's seeing all the beautiful statues right, right, right. of, um, you know, Hercules and, and whatnot, all the, um, uh, the Grecian and uh, Roman statues. And he said that this really had a huge impact on his life. This really inspired him to mold his body this way in um, the Grecian ideal is what they called it, you know, to try to make yourself um, look like a statue. And we can see through um, his photographs that um, a lot of his poses, he he mimics um, these statues. Yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it. Even posing with the leaf and everything. Right, right, exactly. So, um, and... Um, and early on in his career, um, he met with someone who we need to talk about later. This guy deserves a video on his own. He's he's totally unknown, but had a huge significance in bodybuilding. Um, his name was uh, Professor Attila, and um, and he Professor Attila recognized the talent that Sandow had and um, took him under his wing. And um, so they met. They him. met after Sandow had already started training. Sandow, Sandow got his training from Professor Attila. Again, that's that's kind of a different story. Okay. Um, Professor Attila was kind of the first one to um, to realize the benefits of uh, progressive overload training. You know, training with heavy weights. Um, they didn't really do that before him. Um, and um, before that, before they met, Sandow had basically just been doing some strongman acts in circus shows kind of okay, thing. But okay. Attila, Attila sees him, sees the incredible body that he has and knows that through training, you know, um, that he can really develop him into, um, you know, um, just a, an incredible uh, a statue, basically, um, which is what Sandow was looking to do. Um, and so um, one of the first things that, you know, strongmen had their gimmicks, right? You know, they're the only ones who can do this or that. And, um, and so audiences would come to the strongman show to see him do something new and exciting. Um, and, um, Sandow decided that the way that he was going to get noticed is, um, they used to have these, um, old strength machines that basically there was a lever, um, that you would, pull down and it would measure your strength, right? Okay. You know, we have the, the grip machines and, you know, similar things are still around today. Yeah. Um, but Sandow um, was so strong that if he really tried, he could break <laughs> those machines. Wow. So one day, this, this was in Amsterdam. He was in Amsterdam at this time. Um, he decided one night to um, hire a taxi cab driver who just drove him all around the city to these various machines and he broke every single one of them. He found as many of these machines as he could, um, you know, paid the penny to, to do it and then broke these machines. <laughs> and, um, and anyway, so, so the next day, um, the police thought that, you know, of course there was like a group of vandals who was going around just breaking these machines. Right, so, right. um, they wanted to know who it was who did this and, you know, Sandow saw his chance for publicity, so he said, you know, it was me. I did this all by myself, so they arrested him, and, um, you know, when he came in, um, he basically said that, 
you know, look, I haven't, I haven't broken any laws. I paid my penny in each of these machines and I just broke it. And they said, you know, they, they didn't believe him, right? They said, no, there's, there's no way you can do that. And he said, well, look, bring me, bring me to one of these machines and I'll show you. And so they brought him to a machine. He paid his penny, broke it. And then they said, wow, you know, this guy has incredible strength. So of course, wow. you know, that, that was communicated in the newspapers, which everyone read at that time. And, um, and that's how, you know, he got famous is, you know, From people wanted to know going around yeah, town people wanted to know. machines. That's amazing. Exactly. Exactly. So people wanted to know who is this guy who's so strong that he can just go around and just, you know, break these strength machines. Wow. And, um, yeah, so, um, that was kind of how he first, um, gained some notoriety. Um, but he really broke out, um, as far as becoming famous, um, when, um, he and Professor Attila went to London and in London at the time, um, there were these two strongmen that worked together that, you know, called themselves the strongest men in the world. Um, and they went by the names of Cyclops and Samson. And, uh, they had a challenge out there, of course, that, you know, anyone who can duplicate our feats, um, will get us, get us some of money. Uh, I think it was, uh, and this may be incorrect. I think it was like a, a hundred pounds if you beat Cyclops and 500 pounds if you beat Samson or something like that, which was a huge sum of money back then. Right. Um, and, um, so, uh, to set the scene for you, you know, they, they timed it perfectly, right? Um, Professor Attila, when they got to that time of the show, you know, stood up and said, you know, I've got a challenger here for you. And then, you know, it's, it's Sandow and Sandow gets up and he's dressed in the typical attire that everybody else is wearing that night. So, you know, he's got like a suit on, he's looking nice and, and he looked just like a regular guy, right. In his suit. And, um, and so Samson, I think was even kind of making fun of him. You know, this, this guy's going to, beat my strength feats like no way there's no way this is going to happen and uh so sandow gets on stage and he had this suit like specially made somehow where he literally could just rip it apart really quick i'm a almost like a superman type thing right so he rips off um he rips off this evening suit that he has on um and then he's dressed of course, you know, so you can see his muscles, you can see his physique and stuff like that. And then they kind of got a little worried, like, oh man, maybe this guy, <laughs> you know, maybe this guy can do it. And um, anyway, so um, so Sandow uh, defeated Cyclops that night. Samson, Samson wouldn't um, go up against him that night. He said, no, you know, we'll, we'll do this at a later night kind of thing. Um, and so they met later and uh, Sandow defeated Samson as well. And so then Sandow was known across London as the strongest man. And then he started doing um, a similar act in London and making a bunch of money and a, a big name for himself kind of thing. Um, and uh, that was in 1889, uh, by the way. He was about 22 years old that he did this. Um, then a couple of years later in 1891, uh, the famous sculptor F.W. Pomeroy um, created uh, the Sandow sculpture, which is now what's used um, for the Sandow trophy. So, um, so Sandow would have been 24 when they made that uh, bust of him that we now see the winner every year gets 
um, of the Mr. Olympia contest. Um, and then the next big event, um, was in 1893. He, um, he traveled to America to start working in America. This is what you kind of had to do as a strong man, right? Because you can only do your act for so long before it gets old and boring and the audience already knows, you know, the, the tricks that you do and you know, this guy's strong. Okay. We get it. So you had to travel all the time to different areas that maybe had heard of you, but had never seen you. And, and, you know, the audience was hungry to see you. And so they would pay the money, um, to see you do your strongman feats. Um, so he goes to America in 1893 and the people that, um, that brought him there, um, initially were unsuccessful with him. Um, apparently it had to do with just the time of year. Um, apparently that when they brought him over, it wasn't really a prime, um, time, uh, for audiences to go see the vaudeville theater type shows. And, um, and so he was, uh, unsuccessful, even though he had, you know, a great act kind of thing. Um, and then he's, his talent is recognized, by uh, Florence Ziegfeld, who was famous for the Ziegfeld Follies uh, several years later. Um, and, um, and he recognizes Sandell's potential and um, buys out his contract from the current people that, um, that own the contract for him to appear at their theater. And, um, and Ziegfeld does a great job promoting him. Ziegfeld's a great uh, marketer. And... Um, you know, puts lots of things in the, in the paper about him, advertises him, um, does, um, you know, all and, and recognizes here's, here's where the bodybuilding part came into it. He really recognized that the audience, um, the audience likes seeing the strong men stuff. You know, they like seeing him lift heavy weights and things like that. But what they're really more interested in is his crazy body. Cause I mean, he had a body that just, um, you know, no one in that time had anything close to that. Um, he's like I the mean, only dude the in pictures. the world that's just, yeah, it's, it's nuts. I mean, I sent you some pictures where he's got like an eight pack, like yep. you can see the, the clear line going down his leg. I mean, that's some stuff that, that even like the silver era guys didn't have, you know, wow. they didn't really have much leg development 50 years later. Um, so it's it's really um, amazing um, that Sandow was able to accomplish this. Yeah, um, absolutely. And and he and like I said, he he recognized it that hey, that's that's what the audience is really going crazy over is his body, not not necessarily the strongman stuff. So so they still incorporated the strongman um, lifts and things like that, but they would also have a portion of the show where he would just show off his body. And from what I've read. Um, they'd almost keep him in like this clear box kind of thing where the audience would see you would see him. Um, and sometimes he would even, um, put, uh, like white powder on him. So he would look more statuesque and, um, they would turn off the lights and turn him back on and he would be doing a pose of a statue and then they would turn him off and turn him back on again. And he'd be in a different pose of a statue. Nice. Um, and, uh, um, I like that. And, I like and that this concept. Was, it's, it's pretty cool. And, and it's really where they noticed how important, uh, lighting was right. in bodybuilding as far as showing off the body. We know that, um, 
obviously that's a, a really big part of it. You know, if you don't have the right lighting, um, even if you look great, the audience might nece- not necessarily yeah, yeah. see Yeah, you can it. look totally washed out. Um, it doesn't even look like you left. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, and there's they, they talk about how Sandow was, you know, kind of known to be a promiscuous guy. And, um, and Ziegfeld didn't really help that because he, <laughs> he recognized that um, – the ladies were interested in him. So he would, um, he would, you know, for a fee, basically for a fee after the show, you could go backstage with Sandow and, you know, um, you know, feel his bicep and all sorts of other stuff. Who, who knows what kind of stuff went on? Right. Like, right. Again, we're not really sure. Um, some people say there may have even been men involved with Sandow. It's like, nobody really knows, right. what, what happened, but, um, but Ziegfeld saw the potential for, um, for money with Sandow and he did a great job, um, exploiting it. And, um, and they, they worked together and they went all through toward all of America, even Canada, um, for about three years from 1893 to 1896. And, um, and Sandow would come back to America here and there through, um, through the late 1890s. Um, one of the things I have here on my list is, um, and, and you've seen this, maybe you didn't recognize it when you saw it, but pumping iron, you remember the, um, when they're singing the pumping iron song and showing the pictures of the, the old time bodybuilders, Sandow, Sandow is the very last one, the the guy who does the backflip at the very end. And then that's when it, uh, shows the bodybuilding contest with Arnold and Ferdinand and all those guys. Um, that was one of the first um, films ever made. I mean, that's how important Sandow was. That's how. Yeah, I've heard of that. Um, I've heard that he was one of the first people ever filmed, and like that's incredible. Yeah, yeah he was really res- well respected. Um, and uh, Tom- Thomas Edison, um, who pretty much invented yep. um, the filming, yep. um, that was one of his first movies that he ever shot. Like that's how well known Sandow was. Wow, um, that he that he, you know, shot him posing. Um, and so I guess you could say that that's kind of the first, um, well, that, that definitely is the first, um, posing bodybuilding posing that we have ever had on film. So it's really interesting. Um, it's pretty epic too that, I mean, one of the first films ever is a bodybuilding film essentially. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I mean, Sandow, Sandow really got people, um, excited about it for sure. Um, and, uh, let's see in 1894, um, he published, uh, one of the earliest bodybuilding books ever, um, which was called Sandow system of physical training. Um, I think I sent you a, a picture of, of that. I've got, uh, three of those in my collection. They're really rare. There's not, um, many of them around. Um, if you can find one cheap, definitely get it. Um, the, the book that he, I don't think that he, they printed a whole lot of them because I don't think they knew how well they would sell back then with it kind of being a new thing. Um, his most famous book, um, which came out three years later, which they printed several different versions of, and they're all around. You can find a copy pretty easy is called uh, strength and how to obtain it. Um, and it's a little, little red book. Um, I've seen them, uh, for sale on, on eBay quite frequently. Um, and then he started um, 
which which is widely regarded as the first bodybuilding magazine ever in 1898, uh, Sandals Magazine of Physical Culture. Um, and that's kind of what um, they they called bodybuilding back then, physical culture. You'll you'll see that term a lot used, um, you know, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, physical culture. Right. Um, it's basically bodybuilding. Um, and let's see. Um, so then he goes back um, to London, and this is something we know a lot about um, as far as what bodybuilders do today. He um, started commercializing his name, right? He started putting products out there, um, courses, mail-order courses, started doing that. Um, even physical culture schools, which were basically um, gyms, and you could get training from him mm-hmm. and instructors, things like that. Um, he started doing that around 1897. Um, he created, uh, the first major bodybuilding contest. There were, there were a few before this, um, in 1901 called the great competition, um, which is where the, um, three Sandow trophies were given out to, um, first, second, and third place. The golden Sandow was given out to first silver Sandow to second bronze, uh, Sandow, um, to third. And again, this is, um, this is something we could do a show on just right there. Um, the first major, uh, bodybuilding contest. And, um, and I think I've told you that, um, the bronze Sandow, which was given to the third place winner was then essentially repurposed 49 years later and given to Steve Reeves when he won yep. the 1950 NABA Mr. Universe, um, contest. And, and because of that, of course, that's when Arnold and Jim Lormer and um, Joe Weider decided to start using it in 1977 as the first place trophy for the Mr. Olympia, and that's what we still use today. Wow. Um, and then also, um, so he first, uh, he started uh, marketing, I think, what was the first major bodybuilding supplement in 1901, which he called Plasmin. Um, which was essentially like a, a protein okay. supplement. Um, he didn't come up with it. Apparently it was something that had been around um, in Germany for a while, and that's how he knew it. But he, he started marketing it as a protein supplement. Um, so he knew and, he knew the link between protein and muscle building. Yeah, it appears so. Um, and then later on, um, he started making a, um, uh, a cocoa powder um, that um, – that had protein in it as well. So it was more like a protein, but probably tasted a lot better than this plasmin stuff because, um, because of the chocolate in it. So he's starting to get into some different flavors and, and things like that. Um, but, um, I've got a quote here of him talking about plasmin and he says, um, uh, speaking of food, I would like to mention a preparation called plasmin, which I do not think is to be obtained in this country. It is made in Germany, and a teaspoon of it equal to the strength of two eggs. It is an excellent strength builder, and as an experiment, I lived upon it solely for seven weeks at one time. So, um, that's cool. Good stuff. I mean, yeah, pretty much living off uh, protein powder for seven weeks. Who knows if he actually did that or not? But um, so he starts commercializing his name, products, um, uh, even um, some dumbbells, these, these five pound dumbbells that you'd squeeze them together, uh, that had springs in the middle. And when you'd squeeze them together, a bell would ring. Um, and he had like a whole course on 
what to do with these dumbbells, even though they only weighed five pounds. He was just, you know, I mean, he was being smart. He was selling products, um, off his name and, um, and what he had done in, um, uh, in the strength shows and, and he built up his business and it was very profitable for a time. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, world war one started in 1914 and he was in London. And of course the sentiment, um, around that time became very anti-German, right? Cause they were fighting the Germans. Germans were these horrible people. Well, Sandow was from Germany and still spoke with a German accent. Um, and, you know, people even accused, um, you know, his products of, of coming from Germany, being made in Germany, things like that. Um, and that was what basically started the, the decline in his business. People stopped buying his things. Um, he, he became less important because, um, because he was German. And there was this, you know, great war going on. Um, and people just didn't want um, anything to do with him. Um, and so he, he lost his businesses, uh, wow. went bankrupt, yeah, and then died um, not too long after that in 1925 of a aortic um, aneurysm. And we're not really sure how he died. There's, of course, this um, great story that supposedly um, he tried to lift one of his cars out of a ditch and he just had this aortic aneurysm because um, he was uh, 58 at the time when he died. Um, that's kind of what the glorified story is. We don't really know for sure if that happened or not. Um, there's also some speculation that um, because of um, because of the way he was, that uh, perhaps he had syphilis because dying of an aortic aneurysm is is one of the causes of syphilis when the you know, disease gets advanced enough. Um, and his, and his wife and, uh, his wife hated him. I mean, his wife, um, I guess knew about, you know, um, all of this and, um, and maybe he even gave her the disease because, um, she, until she died, people kept wanting her to put up some monument to him on his grave. Cause he, he was buried in an unmarked grave. Um, and wow. you know, they wanted some sort of at least at, at the minimum, like a headstone or something like that. Yeah. Um, cause he was, he was this great guy and, um, and she just refused to do it and they couldn't go around her. It, you know, it has to be a family decision to do something like that. Um, and he didn't have anything, um, any marker on his grave until, um, his great, uh, grandson, um, put up a marker, um, maybe around 10 years ago or so. Um, so, which that's interesting in itself. Um, but, um, yeah, so that's as quick as I could do it. That's, that's his life. Um, wanted to mention just a few other things that are, I, I found interesting. So, um, it's, it's estimated, um, that he was about five, nine, um, and weighed anywhere from 190 to 200 pounds, wow. um, which is pretty similar, pretty similar to Frank Zane, yeah. who, yep. Um, who in his prime um, Olympic years uh, was 5'9 and weighed, you know, around 185, 190. So I thought that was kind of an interesting comparison right there that Sandow was um, pretty pretty close in size, maybe a little bit heavier than Zane. Um, Even those measurements, here, I mean, sound like something your typical, you know, guy that bodybuilds as a hobby would aim for. 
Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we we definitely know he was natural. <laughs> so there, there's, there's no I mean, doubt about that. Don't even try. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, you know, we've we've talked about how there's, uh, you know, people who don't think the silver era guys um, were, were natural because uh, testosterone was um, synthesized in 1935. Mm-hmm. Um, Sandow, Sandow had been dead for 10 years. So, <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know what he could have taken, could have taken, yeah. you know? Um, but, uh, who knows? There's, there's people out there who will probably find something. That, yeah. Always. Know, maybe cocaine, cocaine or who knows, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, um, I've got on here, um, I, I read in an interview he, he gave, um, uh, he said that he, um, abstained from, uh, drinking liquor, coffee, and tea. But uh, being German, he said that he would occasionally drink a beer. Um, he always tried to eat uh, wholesome foods, but also said that he would occasionally indulge. So I guess you could consider that like a cheat day, right? Um, and, uh, and he believed in eating smaller meals with nutrient-rich foods frequently and getting a good, good night's rest. So a lot of bodybuilding stuff um, in there right there. I mean, he... Um, he seemed to know, um, he knew what worked and, and used it. Um, and also a pretty interesting note is that he was the, uh, when he was in, uh, London, he was the personal physical training instructor to King Edward the seventh and, um, King George the fifth made him the professor of scientific physical culture. So he was really well known. Um, I mean, he was basically the trainer of, uh, English Kings responsible for keeping them in good health. Um, he was really good friends with, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who wrote, uh, Sherlock Holmes series and even had him as one of the three judges in his, um, great contest in 1901. The, the first major, that's, um, that's an interesting choice in judge. I know. Yeah, it, um, it definitely is. It was, um, it was Sandow, Sir Arthur, Conan Doyle and a um, uh, and a sculptor, which I think is probably a good choice, oh, wow. right? A sculptor. I, I like that a lot. That sounds yeah. really interesting. Abs- absolutely, absolutely. So um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle could have been a questionable choice there, but uh, Sandow definitely. Still, I mean, epic. Still yeah, epic. Ab- absolutely, but yeah, you would figure a, a sculptor would know what the male body should look like, and Sandow definitely knew. So, um, yeah, I mean, um, I, I think that's, I think that's about it for Sandow. Again, like I said, without getting too deep into it, um, you know, I could, I could go on and on on this, but we only have so much time. So, right, 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 right. Well, I mean, I certainly learned a lot. Um, I hope you guys, I hope you guys enjoyed that story on Sandow. Uh, we have some more stories planned next week that are going to follow in progression of bodybuilding history, maybe go into Silver Age and some prominent figures then. Uh, Clint, I want to thank you. Um, you certainly did your research and taught us a lot today about Sandow. That was awesome. Thank you. If you guys like the video, if you like the podcast, it means a lot to us and it really does help out if you like the video or podcast, however you are listening to this. We love to hear your feedback and your comments. If you would, please give us a review, leave us some comments. We'd love to know what you guys have to say about the podcast. And uh, we hope you tune in for the next one. Thank you so much for watching. See you next week, guys. See you next week.